the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Operations for 820 AM The Word. Well, I have a a special guest today. His name is Tim Gatos. He's the Executive Director of Together Washington and the Team Chaplain of the Seattle Sounders and Seattle Mariners. Tim, welcome to Heart of the City. Chuck, it is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it, it is good. We we had we've had a nice chat, and I've got to learn a lot about you and and especially your dad, who mm. is a radio broadcaster and radio executive for years, and a former uh, general manager at uh, KGDN. KGDN, KBIQ. Which is now KCIS and uh, and Spirit 105. And so you've been around broadcasting for a long time. I have. Grew up around it. And a lot of, uh, if you come, in fact, to my, to my home, the home I grew up in, you'll see a lot of uh, just classic uh, radio gear that uh, is just goes goes back many many years that uh, at some point got to figure out what to do with or get back running again. So well, <laughs> when we're done with our broadcast here, I'm going to take you across the hall to our chief engineer because you ought to see some of the pristine radios he's got. Some beautiful you know stand up radios and jukeboxes that you just drool over. That'd so. be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So well, uh, for those of uh, that don't know you, um, you're the, the chaplain of the Mariners and of the Sounders. So uh, what does a chaplain for the Mariners and Sounders do? Yeah, before I get into that, Chuck, I do have to note tonight, you know, we've got T-minus, you know, five hours uh, across the street. We've got a big one, Western you, Conference Finals. There you go. So if we win this tonight, we go on to the MLS Cup and we might have uh, – Two in a row here. Two in a row, which would be exciting, wouldn't it? It would be phenomenal. It'd phenomenal. Be. <laughs> so I wish I just wish we could be there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So, so being a chaplain, what what does a chaplain do for a, a professional uh, sports team like that? So, as you as you can tell, the you know the experiences for athletes are incredibly unique in in the U.S. So, I mean, they're they have. <laughs> Their schedules are demanding. Uh, they they live day to day. Um, they're told what to do, where where to go, when to do it. And so, being able to have um, a, a faith life is, is very difficult. Uh, to be able to be involved in a, a church community very difficult. To be able to be connected to a pastor uh, is is very difficult. And so, particularly during season, you know, a team chaplain as myself will come alongside. Um, players and and be a support for them be a, a pastoral support a counseling support a psychological support uh, a cheerleader for them and really be a trusted confidant for them uh, for athletes today 
most people want something from them. So to have a place for them where they can go to where somebody doesn't want something from them, but is, but is there to support them is, is really important. And that's what I do. I'm, I'm there to be a trusted support, be a confidant and, uh, encourage them, uh, in their faith. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, radio fan. I like listening to sports radio and I, I often think what it would be like if somebody was doing broadcast commentary about my life and an analysis about my work day, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week that, that I'm hearing if I, if I messed up on a play or did something wrong, that it's a whole segment on a radio station about why I messed up. That would be incredible amount of pressure. You cannot believe what uh, they, these guys go through. It is, it, it is unbelievable. And I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, they've got millions of bosses, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we typically have one, right? They've got millions of them, right? Where they, they do they, and with the advent of social media, it is, it's an onslaught. It is an absolute onslaught. And I have to encourage guys to just, you, you got to get off social. I mean, you you just got to, for your own mental health, well-being, you've got to get off social media. It is so difficult because, uh, and, and and each year, you know, I'm talking to, talking to guys who are really dealing with some difficult things with their mental health. And you would think, well, wait a second, man, these guys are. Man, they get to do something that they love, something that they've been dreaming of. They make a lot of money. Why would they be so um, struggling with, um, you know, mental health? But that they're, they're, it's a tough spot. Well, you know, I, I can't imagine the pressure. I, I, um, you know, I, you look at the expectations, you know, and, and uh, of course, n- not everybody is a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan or a Russell Wilson, but yet the expectation of success on on every play or, or in every game and the fact that people are disappointed or their emotional well-being is is affected by your performance. You know, I was, you know, we're recording this after the Seahawks just lost to, to the Giants uh, on, on, um, on Sunday. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that walked into work on Monday morning feeling bad because of the performance of a team mm. and, and project that on, on those players. Right. Like, I'm supposed to feel good because, you know, because you're a winner all the time. You right. know, it's, it's that kind of expectation that I think uh, as an athlete would be really tough. It is. It really is. And in fact, I just saw Russell just tweeted out a little bit ago, you know, new day, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I love that about Russell. You know, he really just, um, you know, sees just just as the scriptures say, you know, like every day it's a has its own mercy mm-hmm. and uh, it's a new day. And and he's a great example of that for yeah. for for most. Well, let's go back. Obviously, you've got an interesting story to tell about um, about you know, working with uh, professional athletes and also the executive director of Together Washington. But uh, how about your own personal journey of faith? Mm. You know, obviously your dad, uh, you grew up in a a Christian family, but yet that doesn't really mean much except that you grew up in a Christian family. True. So absolutely true. Tell me about uh, your walk with the Lord and how that developed. Yeah, I grew up about 11 miles uh, north of here along I-5 in Edmonds. Washington. Uh, and as you said, I, I grew up in an amazing family. Uh, parents loved Jesus. 
um, both came out here from, they grew up in the Midwest and, and we were part of a great church, uh, growing up. And, um, I, I was, you know, taught the, the tenets, the historic, uh, truths of the faith. And, um, and it, it was a great, uh, childhood and a great family looking back would say, Hey, you know, there's, uh, maybe some quote unquote, um, you know, legalistic, um, aspects of that, which, um, you know, I look at today and say, Hey, that's, uh, that's really something we have to look at when we look at what, what grace is and what the gospel is. I think a lot of times if we go back to maybe the, the faith of our parents and grandparents, there's some leanings towards legalism and where you say, Hey, this is what, how you should live versus this is what faith is. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we had a little bit of that though. I, um, I don't hold that against my, my parents. Um, they certainly, I think had a little more of that as well. Um, by the way, I, I, can I say something just that it, when I said that it really tipped me off in my head of like how the, uh, the, it used to be legalism or the fundamentalism came from the, from the religious side of things, right. you know, 50s, 60s, 70s was really the uh, fundamentalism was, was from the religious side. And it's interesting to see the flip of that today where the fundamentalism now comes from the secular side. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the legalism of right. this is how you should live. And this is what I'm going to impose my belief, which is what legalism is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to impose my values and beliefs on you. So this mm-hmm. is how you should live. It's just interesting how that's flipped. It is. It is. So you know, and and uh, and then with the cancel culture stepping in on top of that, that if you don't live, you know, the way I'm suggesting that, you know, uh, you need to be canceled. Yeah. You know. So yes, very much so. Not to mean to go down that that's rabbit right. trail, but so you know, I grew up, and you know, it wasn't until college when I really finally understood what. Uh, the message of the gospel was that it wasn't uh, it wasn't about my parents faith um, it was about my own personal faith mm-hmm. my taking personal responsibility for my faith so to speak and uh, just really understanding um, what Jesus did for me that um, you know he's he's blessed me so deeply and he is sh- he's just showered us with his uh, with his grace and his love and that there's nothing I can do to have him love me anymore. And there's nothing that I can do to have him love me any less. And just finally realizing that and going through, you know, the typical ups and downs that, you know, we do as, as high schoolers and, and, and uh, college students. And I, you know, certainly was a, you know, rambunctious, you know, I would say quote unquote, slightly rebellious. Um, I I like to push the limits a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, some people, um, like that and don't like that. My wife doesn't like that as much, but <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but um, but going through um, just to see my own rebellion, you know, face to face, to see it in the mirror and mm. say, "Man, like I have, <laughs> I thought all these other things I was living for in my life up until now, I thought those things were going to die for me and save me." You know, mm. I thought. Uh, sports was going to die for me and save me. I thought 
education was going to die for me and save me. I thought money was going to die for me and save me and realize none of those things are going to do that. Mm -hmm. And finally coming to the realization that Jesus uh, died for me and will save me. And um, so that was just a a, a powerful moment um, of just surrendering my life to Christ and understanding who he is. And um, I had a, it wasn't long after that. uh, I was a basketball guy. I played I love playing sports. I played basketball in high school and then played in college as well. And I went on a, um, a basketball tour after my junior year in college with a group called athletes in action. And we went down to Brazil and, and played, uh, put on some camps and played some of the professional teams down there over the course of a summer. And I remember, um, one of the things AIA would do would, you know, they play these professional teams and then at halftime, someone would, share their faith and it would be an evangelistic event. And one of the games they asked me to do it. And I was like, I do not want to do that. I just, I was at that point, I hadn't really had a lot of, though I watched my dad do a lot of public speaking. I was like, I'll let, let him do that. And, but that was really the first time I shared, you know, my faith in a, in a, in a way like that, in a public way. And to be able to just communicate, Oh my goodness, this is what this is what Jesus has done. Mm-hmm. And and to be a part of a um uh, you know a, a camp like that. And I remember leaving that and saying, I don't know if there's anything I'd rather do than telling people they can be forgiven. Hmm. And and so that really from that moment on was like I'm I just whatever that looks like. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. It, it, I could go down different roads and paths, but I know that at the core of, of what I want to do and, and who I am is just telling people about Jesus love for them. Hmm. And, uh, because I just received that love from him. And, and so that then led towards, um, a, a lot of really neat opportunities to do just that. Um, and I went to, went to seminary. Um, I had been, a, I've been a student ministries pastor for college and high school, been a church planter, uh, planted, helped plant a, a couple churches here in downtown Seattle, one in, in the Rainier Valley, uh, been a part of a, a church that was here called Mars Hill church, uh, for a few years, um, b- had the great opportunity to help start a couple nonprofits that were really, uh, serving our city. Uh, well, and and hopefully serving that with with the love of Jesus, and and uh, and certainly now, uh, you know, this is my eleventh year with the Sounders, mm-hmm. and my seventh year with the Mariners. So get the opportunity to to um, showcase hopefully Jesus' love in those environments as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how <clears throat> you know in the traditional sense, many people think that being a pastor means that you're going to obviously uh, be leading a congregation of people, but at least I feel for my own life that pastoring is a call in your life that no matter what your vocational ministry, what your vocation is, that you can still pastor people. That, that, that uh, you know, at a Christian radio station, whether I have a congregation or not, there's still that pastoral heart and presence that you provide even as a chaplain, you know, it's absolutely, <laughs> they correct. may not call themselves a congregation, your congregation, but yet there's still that pastoring that takes place that shepherding. That's right. That's right. And I was always a, uh, you know, and I think, 
um, scripture in the New Testament in particular show this is that we are called, you know, every believer we're called to be a minister, you mm-hmm. know, and we're um, it, it, a lot of times I think maybe back in the day was looked at as, okay, the professional pastor does the pastoring. And you're exactly right. I mean, we're actually, all of us are, are called to use our gifts to serve and, and pastor others. And, and really that's with, with together Washington, that was a, a looking at our, our city and our state and seeing, man, there's, I, I always believe some of the best sermons are preached outside the walls of the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that is where, you know, we're called to be, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus and and to go into the the highways and the byways and to be able to uh, connect on the streets with folks in ways that are tangible. And I've always just been a huge um, believer in that. I'm wired that way anyway. So I so with Together Washington, it's just a it's an expression of, you know, faith to say, what does it look like to especially in a in a day and age like today? Um, in a postmodern day and age. And when I think we need more um, tangible, um, tactile um, expressions of our faith. Well, um, you know, besides being the uh, team chaplain of the Sounders and Mariners, we're talking to Tim Gatos. He's the executive director of Together Washington. So give me the the 30,000 foot overview of Together Washington. Why you for, you started it. You're the founder. I'm yes, the co-founder. The co-founder. So what motivated you to do that, and and what is the organization Together Washington? Yeah. So myself, uh, my friend, another co-founder, Tim Burgess, who was our last mayor of Seattle and, and city council member, he and I, for many years, just began to see the divides, you know, in our community, in our city in particular, and um, and of course, in our state to say, and we've got to be able to do ways to bring people together, to bridge divides. We have way much more in common than we have apart. And we're just seeing the, what I would say, the, the social fabric uh, disintegrating of our community and that we're at a point where we're no longer willing to work with people who are different than us, who have a different view than us or who disagree with us. You mentioned that at the top of the hour about the cancel culture and, and, and we've got to figure out ways to say, Hey, at the end of the day, we are, and I would, as I say, we're all created in the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. The Imago day, all of us have the Imago dayness, right? We are created in God's image, no matter what someone believes or thinks or sees or feels, we are all created in God's image. And obviously there's, we're at a point where we're saying, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm no longer willing to, to talk to someone, to be associated with someone, to work with someone. And certainly there's, there's dangerous ideas out there. And, and I think if you look at it on a spectrum on opposite sides of the spectrum, both would say, Hey, that's a dangerous idea. I can't Mm -hmm. work with that person. Um, How can we, be able to say, okay, what, what does it look like to build the common good? And that's, it's a term that we use it together. Washington strengthening the common good, which really comes out of Jeremiah 29. Um, in fact, the, um, it was Aquinas who coined St. Thomas Aquinas, who coined that phrase, the common good, building the common good. Jeremiah 29 says, seek the welfare of the city that you've been called to, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So seek the peace, 
Seek the peace of the city that you've been called to. What does that look like for us? How do we, how do we hold on to our beliefs and our values and at the same time say, okay, how can we build the common good for the sake of the city, for the sake of the state? And so that's, that's the 30,000 foot view is there's a lot of things in our state and in our community that we're not able to do to take care of people, right? To take care of uh, young people, to take care of um, older people, to take care of how can we find ways to build common ground to take care of people in our community? Because right now, um, things get in the way of that. There are so many examples. So this, a lot of this started um, a few years back. Denny Park is the city's first and oldest park. Interesting. Been in Denny Park a few times. Yeah. Yep. It's the city's first and oldest park. For years, decades, it was a wasteland. I mean, it really was a haven for illicit, illegal activity, a lot of drug deals, violence, prostitution. And yet here it is. It's the city's first and most historic park. So um, a few years ago, um, we brought together uh, what we call unconventional collaborations. And so we've got to bring unconventional collaborations together of churches and nonprofits and the government and businesses to say, hey, we may not all agree what it looks like to bring new life to Seattle's oldest park because there was a lot of disagreement. So we brought together a coalition of about 30 um, stakeholders in the city that were like, you know what? Yes, we've got to do something about Denny Park. Okay, so we don't all agree about what to do with the homelessness. We, we, we're kind of, we disagree about that. Okay, we, we don't all agree about what to do with uh, the drug activity in the park. Okay. We don't all agree with what to do with about the, about the prostitution. Okay. How can we find common ground to be able to actually, instead of just continue to be polarized and not do anything, which is what happens a lot of times, we've got to be able to find ways to build that common ground. So shepherding a process, I help shepherd a process between those stakeholders to say, Hey, let's, we've got to find incremental ways of improving this for the sake of our community. There's a, there's a playground there, but the kids weren't able to play on it, mm-hmm. right? And so this group was able to bring new life to Seattle's oldest park. And so that was almost a test case of what if we take that recipe and, 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 and churches is a big part of this, a huge part of this, because um, oftentimes we see um, there's some great churches in Seattle, um, but a lot of, I, I think we haven't been as unified as we can be. I think there's a lot we can do to work together and find ways to band together to help improve and seek the welfare of the city that we've been called to. And so it was a great privilege to be able to bring churches into the fold with the city, with, you know, others and say, hey, let's turn this thing around. And so that's um, so we're going to we're taking that recipe and we're going to we're moving out across the whole state. I, I won't get into this. I don't have time to get into the summit that we did earlier this year. Um, and we're going to be doing these summits across the state that basically do that. Bring in faith leaders, nonprofit leaders, government leaders, business leaders, folks on opposite sides of uh, issues and say, OK, let's 
um, let's see what we can do to build common ground. Yeah. So, well, Tim, uh, we've just got about a minute left, and uh, I'd love see Chuck. I talk too much, man. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> well, that's all right. Well, you're passionate. And that's why I wanted to have you on, is just to be able to share a little bit of your story. If someone wants to uh, connect with you, either regarding uh, Together Washington or for some reason uh, as team chaplain with the Sounders and uh, with the Mariners, uh, how do they reach out to you? I think the best thing is email. Okay. If they could email, that'd be great. Timothy, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y dot Gatos, G-A-Y-D-O-S at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, you've been listening to Heart of the City, and uh, if you want to hear this interview again, you can go to thewordseattle.com, press on the menu, uh, local programs. You'll see my smiling face there, and uh, the podcast will be there. Tim Gatos, thanks for joining me today on Heart of the City. Great to be with you, Chuck. Listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com.